This podcast contains language and concepts which may not be suitable for young listeners. The following audio record forms part of the department's ongoing investigation into the actions of Eugene Kirkley, a.k.a. Gideon Vermello, and his operations in the town of Alara. Testimonies recorded here are confidential and have not yet been officially corroborated by secondary or tertiary sources. Hi. Sorry it took me so long to get to this second upload. We had a situation come up that took a few days to deal with. There's been an absolute deluge of kind messages and donations in the last couple of days. And, of course, plenty of people wanting to know about the new information I found out about Harmony. I am going to get to that. But I want to pick up where we left off last time. We'd just been talking about Harmony's first fugue, right? Okay, well... What's strange about the word fugue is that we use it as a medical term to describe these blank states, but it's also a type of Baroque composition. Actually, let me show you. So you begin with a harmony, like this one, and then you bring in other voices. Then you have a counter subject, which defines the original harmony. Add other voices, further counterpoints. And finally, you have this beautiful, complex composition where the original harmony is defined and redefined by all the other voices making counterpoints and counter subjects. Point being, we used to say Harmony was off composing a fugue when she'd go into these blank states. We thought that was hilarious. After the first time it happened, Harmony begged me not to tell Mum and Dad. We figured it was probably just a result of too many mushrooms, and she promised to cut down. I don't know that cutting back from three sessions a week to two was much of an improvement, but it didn't happen again for a couple of months. Just before her second episode, Harmony and I borrowed Dad's Merc. We were both high, and in our idiotic, stoned teenage logic, we decided that I should be the one to drive, because I was slightly less high than Harmony. I thought I was fine to drive, but the barricade I clipped obviously disagreed with me. We pulled the car into the driveway and waited anxiously for Mum and Dad to come home from their networking dinner. When they walked in the door and we told them, Dad's face lit up like a rescue flare. It was weird. He treated me like an inconvenient chore he had to attend to at irregular intervals for so long, and all of a sudden he had all of his attention focused on me. All of his rage, fury, disappointment. He screamed so much he went hoarse. It was such bullshit. He had insanely comprehensive insurance, and I said I'd pay for the excess, so it didn't even cost him any money to have it repaired. At one point he pulled back his hand, and there was this moment where the two of us were looking at each other and everything was so silent and still. I could see in his eyes that he wanted to hit me. In my head, I was almost daring him to. It would give me an excuse to get the courage to do what I'd been hoping to do for the last year or so. Eventually, his hand dropped to his side and he said, you're fucking grounded for the rest of the year. I slumped off to my room and cried. Harmony had her next little fugue composition not too long after. She'd been out at a party. I'd been at home grounded and I got a call from Lena who told me that Harm was supposed to be sharing a cab with her, but she just disappeared. 
I messaged a few of our friends, but none of them knew where she was. I was pacing up and down in my room, wondering if I should tell mum and dad, when I got a text from Jeremy saying that he'd seen Harmony in a 7-Eleven, but didn't seem to know who she was. I snuck out the window, caught a cab and picked her up. Things were quiet for a little while. The calm before the storm, as they say. Harmony was going out a lot, hanging out with people I didn't know. I was staying in, writing songs, getting secretly stoned in my bedroom and pretending like I had a perpetual cold, so I had an excuse to avoid the dinner table. Then one night, our parents were out late at a conference, and Harmony had her friend Ellie over. They hung out in her room listening to Erica Badu at ear-splitting volume and giggling like idiots. Mum and Dad were set to be out until after 11 at least, so when Dad's car shrieked into the driveway at about 9.30, I was confused, but didn't think anything of it. Dad stormed in the door with a massive wine stain covering the front of his shirt. He looked furious. I watched in horror as he stormed up the stairs, slammed on her bedroom door. I listened as the music stopped. There were frantic sounds of commotion and the sound of the door being rattled. He had a key for her room. I heard the jangling of his keychain followed by a pair of hysterical screams. The rest of the evening was a nightmarish blur. I hadn't even known that Harmony was into girls. We weren't talking much at the time. After Mum and Dad found out, they lost it. They were very old school in their regards to attitudes on sexual behaviour. It also hadn't helped that Harmony had left a pile of drug paraphernalia lying around the room. The next day they sat us down and told us they were sending us to St Drogo's in Sydney, a strictly puritanical boarding school. My, sorry, our parents weren't even religious, but their ideal moral code would probably be something like all of the heinously strict attitudes towards sex, drugs, enjoyment and personal freedom of the Catholic Church without all the religious mumbo-jumbo. St Drogo's seemed like the closest they'd get to that ideal. We were told we would finish out the week at school and then be on a plane on Sunday. On Monday, we didn't speak to anyone else. But Harmony decided to sit with me, even if it was in silence. She avoided Ellie, obviously. On Tuesday, Jeremy insisted on talking to me and I spilled my guts, told him about the whole thing. He said we should run away. He'd been to Ulara last summer to see his brother's band play at the Revolution Festival there. We'd always wanted to go. Whenever people talked about it, they got this hazy look in their eyes. Like when someone's just fallen in love. Or is remembering a really great sandwich. As I'm sure most of you know, Ulara holds two big festivals every year. The Revolution Festival in the summer and the Evolution Festival in the winter. Because they're massive, week-long festivals that host almost 150,000 people, the whole town is basically built on this one enterprise. The rest of the year, things are very quiet and the population is tiny. There's the retreat, the recording studio, a primary school, the library, and a couple of cafes. But most people commute to Mullaney for basic services like doctors, groceries, etc. The rumours we'd heard about Ulara seemed too good to be true. Everyone there was an artist, or an art lover of some kind. Drugs were cheap and easily obtainable. Famous musicians strolled down the streets to get a meal at friendly little hippie cafes in between recording sessions. It was right in the middle of the mountains, surrounded by rainforest and a crystal clear river. It sounded like paradise. And yes, we heard about all the crazy shit I mentioned earlier. 
People said if you went there, you'd get abducted by human traffickers if you were lucky and aliens if you weren't. That everyone there was swimming in the same shallow gene pool, as they say. That the entire town was more or less a front for a large-scale drug operation. And of course, the really, really strange rumours about occult practices and human sacrifices and that kind of trash. It's embarrassing, the rubbish some people will believe. Jeremy said his brother would be staying there for a couple of weeks, helping to set up the Evolution Festival, and he could help us find a tent to crash in and maybe some cheap cash and hand labour around the festival site. Plus, we could make some good connections and maybe find a way to play on one of the smaller stages if we were lucky. Can you imagine how incredible that sounded to a couple of fledgling teenage musicians? The whole concept seemed utopian. We figured... We were already in as much trouble as we could be in any case. We might as well go for broke. We talked about it for a couple of days, called Jeremy's brother, and confirmed that there'd be a place for us to pitch a tent and then got packing. We left on Thursday night. We had to wait until our parents were asleep. We took a backpack and a rolling luggage bag each and took turns carrying Harmony's guitar. Because we left so late, we couldn't get a direct bus to Alara, so we'd arranged to stay in Mulaney for the night and make the last half-hour leg of the journey after breakfast the next day. The bus smelled like piss and wet dogs. There were only six or seven other people on board, and they all looked like life had chewed them up and spat them back out again a couple of dozen times over. This creepy, bearded guy stared at Harmony the entire two-hour trip, I made sure to sit on the aisle side. We slept in shifts to make sure no one went through our stuff. We got to the shitty hotel in Mulaney about three in the morning. It was a ten minute walk from the bus station. The streets were quiet except for the occasional barking dog and transport truck. Our room at the Mulaney Budget Inn was gross. The beds were uncomfortable. There was a distinct scent of cheap cleaning chemicals and cheaper cigarettes. Someone next door was inexplicably watching some cop show at a ridiculous volume in the middle of the night. It was all screeching sirens and shrieking tyres. We lay there on our hole-ridden sheets atop mattresses that were basically just steel spikes with a thin material covering on top. I started crying, telling Harmony that we'd made a mistake, that we should just go home and face the music. We only had one year left of high school anyway. Maybe boarding school wouldn't be that bad. She curled up next to me and told me it was going to be all right. We lay there until the sun came up, then grabbed our bags, found a greasy 24-hour truck stop and ate pancakes and drank hot brown water that the waitress mistakenly referred to as coffee, then took the first bus to Ulara. The rest is history, I guess. Ulara really was the paradise we hoped it would be. It was like it only attracted the kindest, most interesting people in the world. Sleeping in a tent was fun. It was like a permanent holiday. We spent daytime helping move equipment around and set up food stalls and nighttime, talking to the other festival workers, smoking joints, playing guitar, jamming, singing. We were offered an afternoon gig on one of the small stages. We played to a crowd of a dozen people and intermittent, hesitant applause, but we felt like rock stars. I still have the crappy phone recording of that first gig. You want to hear it?
a beer and my phone number. That first week was one of the best of my entire life. Dancing, jamming, surrounded by the best souls on earth. If you've been to the festival, you'll know what I'm talking about. They don't call it hippie heaven for nothing. It's part Burning Man, part Woodford Folk Festival, and just a touch of Edinburgh Fringe. Massive in scale, utterly epic in its splendour and execution. Festivals like this should stand alongside the Silicon Transistor, the Eiffel Tower, or Penicillin as evidence of humanity's most remarkable achievements. We felt a little low after the festival ended. The town seemed so empty. Although we didn't meet Gideon in the inner circle until a while later, we made friends quickly, especially Harmony. She took a job as a receptionist at Seventh Cycle Studios, where we ended up recording the album. I started working at the library. It was bliss, being surrounded by books. I learnt more sitting and reading at the desk than I ever did in school. And of course, along with the musicians, Yulara attracts more than its fair share of writers. Orson Cartwright used to come and holiday here and always stop by if he was short on reading material. Everyone knows that the town in that story is based on Ilara, although obviously he made it all a lot more sinister. People have asked me if the librarian in that story is supposed to be me. I'll admit that there are a few similarities, but of course if you've read that book, you'll know that the librarian turns out to be a strange and deluded soul with touches of psychosis, so I don't think so. Plus, the librarian in that book wears glasses and I wear contacts. I'm going to start wrapping things up soon. Before I go over the current theories of how Harmony went missing and where she might be now, I want to share something very special and personal with you. When she first disappeared, I had all kinds of lecherous journalists trying to get me to share dark secrets about Harmony, her sex life, drugs, asking weird questions about devil worship, and then even weirder questions about her boyfriend and Gideon and some of the other folks in Ulara. It made me sick. But I do want to share something with you, directly the people who've donated to the campaign, who love Harmony's music, who really care. I told you yesterday I'd received an anonymous photo of Harmony. Well, today I received an email from the same unknown address. I want to read it to you. Dearest River, I've been afraid for the longest time. Remember when we climbed out of your parents' murk after you crashed into that barricade and we were so high that it just seemed hilarious? We stared at it and laughed and laughed, even though at the back of our minds we knew that we'd done something terrible, that we might even have died. But our brains were wrapped in this warm, narcotic haze. Even as time stretched and bubbled and danced around us, I knew that there was a moment, which in some ways already existed, that was waiting for us to reach it in the near future. And in that moment, bad things would happen. We would be in trouble maybe even get slapped around. I feel like the last 10 years have been a blissful, enduring bubble. But that has come to an end, as I always knew it would be. I can't tell you where I am because it might put us both in danger, but I promise you that for the moment... Oh, shit. I have to get this. I'm going to cut the recording and start it again in a minute. This could be big news. Um, alright. I'm not sure if this is something I should share with the wider world or not, but I feel like those of you who are listening to this are part of my family now. My real family. The one I choose. I just got a call from Harmony's doctor. She... 
she's pregnant. About two months along, when the doctor spoke to her, which would make her maybe five months pregnant now, I'll have to update all the missing notices to tell people to look for a pregnant woman. Holy shit. I'm going to be an uncle. I'd better wrap this up. I have a lot to think about. Let me read you the last part of the letter and then sign off. I'm okay. There are some things we need to talk about when it's safe to see you again. But for the moment, know that I'm alright and have faith that we'll see each other again soon. Love and light. Harmony. So that's it. I know she's alive, or at least she was when she sent that email a few weeks ago, and she's pregnant. I've written back to her, of course, many times, but there's been no answer. She might be worried about her digital trail. That's probably smart. Now, there are all kinds of crazy conspiracy theories around her disappearance out there, and I beg you, please don't pay any attention to them. If you have any genuine leads, then please send them to me, but wild-eyed delusions aren't going to help anyone. Here are my theories. 1. She got in trouble with a dealer. It's no secret that she was taking a bunch of stuff. It's pretty easy to get your hands on when you're touring, even as a mid-level band, and she was never good with money. 2. She has a stalker. A lot of people fall in love with Harmony. Even though she isn't Beyonce famous, or even Michelle Williams famous, she had a lot of admirers and a lot of lovers. People started sending her some pretty weird gifts. She got a stuffed otter, a jar filled with belly button lint, and even a mosaic of her own face made out of coloured macaroni. Three. She had another fugue state, and she wandered off somewhere. Fugue states sometimes also induce amnesia, and they usually worsen under stress. The last year and a half has been amazing, but also incredibly stressful. Lots of touring, little sleep, too many drugs. I was worried that it would take its toll, but she insisted on never slowing down. Usually they only last a short time, but they can sometimes go on for days. After Agatha Christie's husband left her, she entered a fugue state that lasted for a week and a half. Of course, it could be something else I haven't thought of. Harmony kept a lot of secrets, even from me. I don't doubt that I could be missing something important, which is why I need all of you, my family, to help me. I'm going to post a picture of the letter to helpfindharmony.com, and if you've seen her or have any information about her, please post it there, or email it to me at helpfindharmony at gmail.com. Sadly, there's been a lot of vile and suppressive discussion on the message boards lately, so I've had to ban a lot of comments. Please, don't link to that video of her, and please report any abuse. I want this to be a safe place for us to share together. I'll post another recording soon. Thanks for listening. Love and light. This week's episode was written by J.M. Donnellan, that's me, with production, direction, sound design, and a whole bunch of other stuff by the one and only Jessica Magor, with a little bit of help from me as well. Our stars this week were, of course, Tom Yaxley and Jessica Magor, also featuring the wonderful Juliana Lubun and Kate Lindsay on clapping and applause and yelling. They're also our Patreon supporters, so thank you so much to them. If you'd like to become as great as those two are, you can check out Six Cold Feet on Patreon, or if you just want to throw us a review on iTunes, we would really appreciate it. It helps our stuff get up on the front page where people can see it and discover it. Thank you so much for listening, and we very much look forward to seeing you again next week. Always think of me, mama. Just say that's a good man.